Can a person wage war without weapons? Can a man fight battles without firearms? This was the central dilemma in the critically acclaimed movie titled Hacksaw Ridge. How many of you guys have seen this movie released in 2016? It's a movie based on the true story of a soldier named Desmond Doss. Uh, he was an American pacifist combat medic who, as a Seventh-day Adventist, refused to carry a weapon or use any firearms of any kind. He became the first conscientious objector uh, to be awarded the Medal of Honor, which is the United States government's highest and most prestigious military decorations for his service of valor above and beyond the call of duty in the Battle of Okinawa during World War II. But if you can imagine the situation that Desmond Doss puts himself in and what he accomplished, his journey was not without serious opposition, complications, and hardships. Can you imagine someone who joins the military, the army, during a time of war who refuses to carry firearms? Well, during his basic training, his superior officers and fellow soldiers saw him as a coward and traitor to this country. They attempted to discharge him of his duties for psychiatric reasons, but they are overruled. Subsequently, they torment Doss. They put him through grueling labor uh, during his training, intending to get Doss to leave on his own accord. And despite even being beaten one night by his own fellow uh, soldiers, Doss refuses to leave and continues on with his training. Eventually, when his training is over, Doss is court-martialed, for insubordination. And during the trial, when Doss pleads not guilty, uh, which will end up in prison, the superior asks uh, Doss why he won't just leave the army rather than subject himself to the trial and subsequently the imprisonment. Doss defends his convictions with these words. He says, It isn't right that other men should fight and die and that I would just sit in my home safe. I need to serve. I got the energy and the passion to serve as a medic right in the middle with other guys. No less danger. While everybody else is taking life, I am going to be saving it. With the world so set on tearing itself apart, it doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. Well, I don't want to give you the whole story, but the trial is concluded with the decision that Doss's pacifism is protected by the U.S. government and the charges against him are dropped, and he is allowed to continue to serve in the military. Uh, then the rest of the movie is the incredible effort of how Desmond Doss, in the thick of the battle in Okinawa, shots fired everywhere, body parts, arms, legs flying everywhere, blood, guts, spilling, grenades, flamethrowers, knife stabs all around. In what could have been an, a tragic end, Doss was left alone without any way to protect himself when the American army is forced to retreat, Instead, in a miraculous happening of events, Doss not only stays alive, but ends up saving over 75 men in his own platoon who are left in the battlefield injured and left to die. Doss uses a rope to lower down each man down a 400 feet cliff one by one with his bare hands using his own body as a pulley. And as Doss continues to scurry around all night, uh, looking for uh, his fellow men, completely exhausted with the threat of Japanese soldiers searching for him and shooting at him, 
Das prays to God repeatedly as he rescues each man. One more. Help me get one more. What does pacifism have to do with war? What does peace have to do with violence? Well, the story I just shared of Desmond Das gives us a helpful picture of our beatitude this afternoon, how peace uh, and peacemaking is a good fight we as Christians cannot ignore. We're continuing our study through the Beatitudes, and today we are meditating on Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. The Beatitudes, or the eight blessed sayings, is the introduction of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, by the greatest preacher to ever preach, Jesus Christ himself. The purpose of the Beatitudes and the position in which they are placed as the introduction is that the Beatitudes shows what a true disciple of Jesus looks like. Uh, These are concise yet comprehensive characteristics of those who are the citizens of Christ's kingdom as explained in the second phrases of verse 3 and verse 10, if you look at it, which both ends with these words, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I've been sharing with you that those who are kingdom citizens display all, not some, of these qualities as the Beatitudes work together holistically rather than as one-offs. As buttons on a shirt, they have an orderly progression. If you miss one of them, you miss them all. They build upon each other, each step more searching, more humbling, more needing of the Holy Spirit's help and intercession because they are entirely unnatural qualities to the natural man. These are not just uh, characteristics that a person can conjure up on his own strengths or by his own merits. That's why seeing the Beatitudes, as some in history have seen, as merely a system of ethics just simply do not suffice if one is to experience the full blessings and rewards of the Beatitudes. To be blessed of God means to be approved by God, to experience His favor. In other words, the blessed of God are truly the people of God. It describes what a Christian is. Uh, Last Sunday, Jacob Holly uh, preached uh, to us a phenomenal message of truth and encouragement in helping us understand what it means. Uh, Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. The pure in heart are those who have been made righteous by Christ righteous. And as a result of being made righteous, we get to see God in all of life. Our eyes are opened to the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations now revealed to us as according to Colossians 1.26. And that's the perfect setup actually uh, for today's beatitude because those who are pure in heart see God in all things, even in the trials and sufferings of this world. And seeing God in all things, the children of God don't just stay passive or careless. They make peace in areas of life where there is conflict and separation. So this afternoon, I want to share with you again two promises of the Beatitude. First, the blessings, and second, the rewards of peacemakers. So without further ado, let's read together from Matthew chapter 5, but I want, I want us to look at the whole entire uh, pericope, verses 1 through 9, and I wish I could have done this earlier, but I want to challenge you to commit to memory uh, these Beatitudes, because I bet uh, many of you have already memorized most of it. So I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then starting from verse 3, I'm going to read the first part, blessed are, and you read the second part, for theirs or for they. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when they sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. So what is the first promise for peacemakers? First, let's consider the blessings. The first part of verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, it's without a debate that we live in a deeply divided world. It's not only true in the 21st century, in the year 2020 and now in 2021, but it has been the reality since as early as humans existed since Genesis chapter 3. One historian writes, War is one of the constants of history and has not diminished with civilization and democracy. Take a look closely at human history, and there is hardly a time when there is no war taking place in some part of the world. War is constant, undeniable reality of life, even this afternoon. Even as we are gathered here today, there are multiple wars being fought around the world this very moment. The wisest men of this world, philosophers, politicians, theorists, have proposed countless solutions to end wars once and for all, have they not? Diplomacy, capitalism, social psychology, hegemony, peace treaties, globalizations, United Nations, etc. But centuries of war, its subsequent bloodshed, proves that these human methods for peace are ineffective in eradicating war entirely. Simply, as one commentator says, the answer to war is not a mere matter of bootstrap ethics. It's profoundly theological. What is needed is a radical change in the human race if there is to be peace. No one can live the golden rule, do unto others as you would have done to them by mere human will. No one can master even one of the Beatitudes by his or her own strength. Peace is simply impossible for humans, qua humans. As James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covenant, you covet and do not obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You see, the Bible is clear. The problem is in us. The solution, however, is outside of us. Hence, the grand relevance and significance of this seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. The verse seems to be initially simple, uh, basic, plain, straightforward. And for many of you, if you're being honest, perhaps maybe not too exciting. But I hope today's message changes your mind. Have you truly considered its meaning, what it means to be a peacemaker? There are some massive gold nuggets here, so I pray that you will pay attention. There are some spicy firebombs here, so I hope you get it. I love how one commentator phrased it, so I'm just going to quote him unashamedly here. He says, This divine pronouncement of the seventh beatitude, understood and taken to heart and applied by the Holy Spirit, can not only bring inner peace to our troubled hearts, but also makes us instruments of peace, peacemakers. It has the potential to give us peace within and to make us mediators of peace in the lives of those around us and in the society at large. Brothers and sisters, what a needed word for such a time as this, especially this past year with everything that's been going on, with more people experiencing anxiety and depression and isolation in our ironically, supposedly globally interconnected world. 
with so much of our culture and society divided over politics and race and this ongoing pandemic. What an incredibly powerful, prophetic, relevant word Jesus reminds us of the blessing we have in Christ, the identity and the call for you and I to be peacemakers. Let no one dissuade you of this truth that we are peacemakers as the people of God. We should make peace. Amen? So if you're taking notes, first questions you can, you can write down as a subpoint. What does it mean that peacemakers are blessed? What does it mean that peacemakers are blessed? First, the words peace and makers should be carefully considered. The biblical meaning of the word peace in Hebrew, most of you know, the word shalom. It carries the meaning of wholeness and completeness. So the word shalom can refer to a stone, if you could picture a stone, that has a perfect whole shape without any cracks. Shalom also refers to something that has lots of different pieces, but is in a state of completeness. It's like when Job, in Job chapter 5, verse 24, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted all his flock, all his sheep, and there was no animals missing. Shalom. Shalom can also mean a state of well-being. It is well with my soul. Like when young David visits his brothers on the battlefield, he asks about their shalom. How is your shalom? In 1 Samuel 17, 22. And when you use the word shalom as a verb, to bring shalom, it literally means to make complete, to, to bring wholeness or completeness or to bring restoration. So as in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 25, Solomon brings shalom when he brings offerings to complete the temple. In Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. Furthermore, when rival kings make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't mean they just stop fighting and end the wars or end the battles. It means they start cooperating and working together for each other's benefits. They are reconciled in partnership. That is shalom. So brothers and sisters, what a relevant and convicting and challenging word for us today. And the question that we should examine our hearts with is, how is your shalom this afternoon? Is it really, truly well with your souls as you sit here under this very word? Is there areas of your heart and in your relationship before God and others that lacks shalom? Perhaps you've sit on it or ignored it for way, way, way too long. Well, perhaps today is the day that you bring your lack of peace and anxieties to God and ask for courage to bring shalom to the broken areas of your life, of your heart. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, I've already done that, right? Well, let me remind you, let me encourage you, do it again until you have God's shalom. Philippians 4, 5 through 7 reminds us, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, you just can't even comprehend this type of peace, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The challenge and reminder of today's text is for us who know God to make peace, to know shalom, to bring shalom, to advance shalom. Amen? That is what is demanded in the second part of the word, peacemakers. 
The beatitude doesn't say be lovers of peace. Of course, we ought to be that. It doesn't say be seekers of peace. Of course, we ought to value seeking peace. It doesn't say be keepers of peace. Of course, we ought to do that as well. But that's not what Jesus is calling his disciples to be, value, and do only. We ought to be makers of peace. We ought not to be passive in it, but a source of peacemaking. You get what he's saying? Make peace where there is no peace. That is our identity and duty. We ought to be the ones who actively pursues peace in its fullness. We ought to pursue peace more than the absence of conflict. We ought to pursue wholeness and well-being. It's not enough, brothers and sisters, as the children of God, as the people of God, to do the bare minimum. It's like a child that apologizes to a parent, I'm sorry, Mom, I'm sorry, Dad, but still has a stinky attitude. Or a spouse who says, sorry, I didn't mean it, but, and gives all these lists of excuses that the other spouse did. This type of peacemaking is, not, is appeasing, the type of peace at any price. That's not what this beatitude is talking about. Appeasement only puts off or avoids the conflict, but it doesn't make peace, you see. It's not the kind of easygoing laissez-faire who doesn't care what anybody else does as long as it doesn't directly affect me. Oh, well, it's not my business. It's not that type of peace, you see. It's not being tolerant. You do your thing, and I'll do mine. A peacemaker is not a conflict avoider nor a coward, but a true peacemaker is courageous. A true peacemaker is contrary to what most people think they are. A peacemaker is not afraid of making waves and doing what is right and true. So then, what is a peacemaker? Subpoint two, a peacemaker is honest. If there is a problem or a conflict, a peacemaker admits it and not avoids it. The prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament warns against those who act as if all is well when it's not, who say, peace, peace. When there is no peace, Ezekiel 13.10, what they're doing is merely plastering over cracks. That's what chapter 13 describes. These people smear it with whitewash, Ezekiel says. They might hide the cracks for a time being, but when the rain comes, the true state of the wall is revealed, and eventually the wall crumbles, you see. The prophet Jeremiah uses a, a similar verbiage in Jeremiah 6.14. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious, saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. So the Bible is warning us, true peacemakers do not do this. Uh, they, don't, they don't fake it. They don't pretend that everything is okay. A peacemaker is honest about the true status of relationships in their lives and in the world. They admit failed relationships. They admit that they are at odds with others if it is so. They honestly and humbly acknowledge tensions if others have something against them. They don't pretend. They refuse to say peace, peace when there is no peace. Again, how true and applicable are these words to us, for us, who tend to putty over cracks. We tend to pretend like broken relationships are all okay, that they're all fine, and we fail to bring up and talk out conflicts we have with one another. By the way, it's a terrible way to build a marriage relationship. It's a terrible way to raise children. It's a terrible way to build up a church and build unity, to never confront and ignore the problem again and again. It just doesn't work like that, you see to avoid the problem, to ignore the problem, to never talk out relational conflicts. The more you ignore the issue, the longer you minimize the conflict, the bigger and thicker and harder the wall between the two parties become. Avoidance heals the wounds only slightly, 
but prepares the way for greater trouble. It's like a scab, not completely healed, will result in greater injury. And again, the Word is reminding us this is not the Christian way. What a reminder for us in our day of deep division that we, of all people who have experienced God's peace, ought to make peace. That's why peacemakers ought to not only be honest, but be willing to risk pain. Anytime we attempt to bring peace personally or societally, we necessarily risk misunderstanding and failure. When you attempt to do the right thing and bring a peace and make peace, sometimes the truth is, reality is, it may backfire on you. When making peace, if you uh, uh, are in the wrong, there is pain of apologizing. It's, it's hard to apologize. Apologizing and admitting your wrongs is hard. It's not easy. On the other hand, as a peacemaker, there is the difficulty of confronting a person of their wrongs, which is sometimes equally or even more difficult and even more painful. You're risking potentially the loss of relationship or misunderstanding, or sometimes you may be countered with the blame. What about you? Look at you. What have you done? So the temptation for us, right, in our normal lives is to let things slide. Let it go. Or to rationalize that trying to bring peace will only make things worse. So we just let it go. Well, understand, not only is the work of the peacemaker honest and willing to take risk, a peacemaker is a paradox because a peacemaker is a fighter. I love what the commentator says. He makes trouble to make peace. He wages peace. This is the biblical way of peace, brothers and sisters. Ephesians 4, 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Romans 14, 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So the Spirit is convicting you and me, all of us, this afternoon. Have you done all you can to make peace on your part? But of course, this maintaining unity, this pursuing and making peace, is not done in a thoughtless, brutish, quarrelsome way, because that's why this beatitude cannot be divorced from the previous ones. A peacemaker is poor in spirit. A peacemaker is meek. A peacemaker is pure in heart and gentle. Remember, when you're bringing and making peace, you're bringing shalom, not war. Think if Desmond Doss, in fighting for his convictions to not carry weapons in the army, fought for his rights in an, in an arrogant and stubborn way. All of you are fools. Let me have my way. Let me have my rights. And started fighting back or punching back or kicking back his superiors and his fellow army soldiers to get his way. He would have deservedly been thrown in prison, right? Understand, peacemakers fight for peace in gentleness, in humility, with perseverance, risking pain, risking misunderstanding. Well, who could be such a peacemaker? It sounds so difficult. It sounds nearly impossible, doesn't it? Well, you know where I'm going, which is the final question of this section. Subpoint number three, who then is the ultimate peacemaker? Who is the one who was honest about sin? Who is the one who risked it all to make peace? Who is the one who fought and died for peace? Of course, the peace that I'm talking about, the peace uh, between us and God, the great chasm that was placed between man and God because of our sin. 
the unbreakable wall that was built up due to our willful and continual repetitive rebellion against God, the unapproachable, the unattainable righteousness of God, the fellowship of God that we rejected and took for granted and trashed. He, Jesus, the supreme peacemaker, came as the glorious Prince of Peace, prophesied by Isaiah as the messianic fulfillment of the new covenant of peace between sinful man and God. According to Isaiah 9, 52, and Ezekiel 37, verses 24 through 28. At Jesus' birth, a myriad of angels celebrated this fulfillment, singing in Luke 2, 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. The peace that God made was not without cost, and you know this well. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is the best news you will ever hear. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power unto salvation. Hallelujah. That in the beginning, God, who is holy and righteous, created all things in love. He created man and woman in his image that they would know his glory and for our happiness that we would understand that truly. But having been tempted by Satan, man mistrusted God's word. Man rejected God's word, trusting Satan's lie rather than God's truth, rebelling against God, choosing to be a God unto ourselves. Therefore, the relationship between God and man was severed. Man hid from God, that as, as we often do as well today, over and over again. Man was separated from God. And because of the power of the curse of sin, man continued in sin. Just as an addict is helpless against temptations and seductions of one's desires, man is entirely helpless and incapable of repairing the broken relationship within ourselves and with God. But God, in His great mercy, in an undeserving act of grace and love, had a plan from the very beginning to fight for peace, even at a great cost, to bear the weight of our wretched sins in order for us to know His wonderful peace. Hallelujah. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him in Christ and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. That word making peace in this verse in Colossians 1 is the same root word for peacemakers in Matthew 5, 9. God saw, brothers and sisters, the gravity of our problem. He refused to ignore it. He knew that only a drastic solution would suffice. That's why God doesn't just merely wave a finger from heaven to forgive us. His forgiveness took action. He brought shalom down to restore our broken relationship to himself. Hallelujah. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who is truly man and truly God, to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died. And Jesus took our place as a substitute on the cross for our sins. He paid the debt. He propitiated for our sins and satisfied the wrath of God toward sin. Sin canceled, done, over that no amount of sacrifice could ever pay, a payment that we would have had to pay in eternal hell. Jesus paid it all. Our unrighteousness for His righteousness by His sinless death and perfect sacrifice. It was finished one sin for all. Hallelujah. He was dead. He was buried. The tomb was shut. They thought it was over, but it wasn't over. It was just the beginning. On the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from death which meant that Christ defeated sin and death forever, which meant that the power of sin and death and Satan was no more. And all who would come to know this peace would come to him 
in repentance, which simply means an acknowledgement before God. Yes, Lord, I am guilty. And for us to look to Jesus and to trust Him with our whole lives. And the promise of the gospel is that you will not die and go to hell, but participate in His resurrection and live the blessed life here on earth until He returns and even a better, more amazing life with Him for all eternity. Ephesians 2, 13 through 17 says, But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. And so through his son Jesus made peace with us. That's what God did for us as Jesus became the source of peace among all men. And he invites us today to himself through his son. If you're here and you are not a Christian, welcome. We have been praying for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I wonder if you know this wonderful peace that we sung about. Because the Bible is clear, if you do not believe in Jesus, you do not know peace. You can pretend that everything is fine, But let me love you enough to tell you it is not fine. Peace, peace, but there is no peace. John 3, 36 says, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. When you willfully choose to reject God and live for yourselves on your own accord, what you get is what you would expect, the fruit of your own deeds. You get what you get simply and plainly. Fleeting wealth, fleeting health, Old age, death, but that's not the end, is it? A justly deserved eternal condemnation for your rebellion against God. If you never make peace with God through Christ, it is what we all deserve. Christianity, friend, is not a set of religious duties. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Fundamentally, it is a relationship, a reconciled relationship between us and God through Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So friend, if you are here and you are not a Christian, receive. I urge you this afternoon, receive this free gift of salvation made possible through Jesus Christ, His Son. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. Trust Him as your Lord and Savior from this moment forward. If you want to know more about how to follow Jesus, please talk to me at the close of service by the door or talk to somebody smiling next to you today. You could see some people smiling. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, life has a way of robbing our peace, doesn't it? People have a way of making us throw away our peace, don't they? We ourselves as a way of forgetfulness because we rely more on our comfort and security rather than peace that surpasses all understanding, don't we? Jesus, by becoming our peace, not only dispensed his shalom in our hearts, he promises us more peace, generously, continuously for our every and all needs. So let's be reminded, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus' words from John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let's remember these words in in days like ours when trouble and worry and difficulties at home and work and school come our way, 
remember that we have the very peace of God with us today, now, and forever. Many churches are celebrating Pentecost Sunday today. It's the day in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came to be present with God's people. And let me tell you some news. Let me remind you of some encouraging news. The Spirit of God never left the church. Amen? Our peace is not an abstract peace. We're talking about tangible peace. It's the very present help in time of need peace. He is our helper. He is our comforter. He is our Emmanuel God with us. The peace of God is with us. That is the blessing of the peacemaker, the Prince of Peace for us. Hallelujah. Second promise of beatitude, much shorter point, the reward of peacemakers. The second part of verse 9, for they shall be called the sons of God. Ooh, it gets me excited thinking about it. This point is very simple, brothers and sisters. The reward of knowing the Prince of Peace is to know God as our Abba Father. Hallelujah. Don't be hindered or distracted by the fact that it only says sons, only, as it did in the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as sons of God. Deuteronomy 14.1. As such, in this instance, it is the idea of children or heirs of God, sons and daughters of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be They are the children of God. It is a title that no one else can rightfully own except for the children of God. The word they, again, is emphatic. They only. We don't get to choose our Father. The Father chose us. The passive voice of the phrase, they shall be called the sons of God, proves that point. Not only that, this is why the Father God, uh, if not the God of the Bible, Every other religion who claims the same God, the God of Islam, the God of Mormonism, is not the God of the Bible. To know and call the one and only true God is an immense, amazing reward that we as the children of God have. It is a sublime and unspeakable reward. To name a few, here's a couple of the ways that we get to experience this reward. To be able to call God our Father, guaranteed, uninhibited access to the Father. Ephesians 2, 18 and 19. For through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Ephesians three twelve, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Hebrews four sixteen. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and fa- find grace uh, to help in time of need. We also have guaranteed unfailing success. You can go to medical school, but doesn't mean that you will be a good doctor, right? You can go to seminary, but doesn't mean that you will be a good pastor, right? But if you are a child of God, you will make it to the finish line. Amen? Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. John 10.28, I give them eternal life that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 2 Timothy 1.12, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard me until that day. What has been entrusted to me? Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 24, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Not only that, guaranteed, imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance kept in heaven for you. 1 Peter 1.4 Brothers and sisters, is this encouraging to you? While our earthly fathers fail us, our heavenly Father will never, ever fail us. Hallelujah. 
But perhaps the most amazing of all the rewards we receive through our Prince of Peace is that as sons of God, we become more like the Son of God. You see, the title Sons of God actually has the idea that refers to character as according to Luke 6, verses 35 through 36, which says, But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. What is that reward? You will be the sons of the Most High. As you know, brothers and sisters, as Christianity was expanding in the first century, the term Christians was a derogatory term given to Jesus' followers by the enemies of Christ. But ironically, isn't it so fitting? For those of us who desire to be more like Christ, we have been called little Christs, many Christs. For this is our Father's will and call for His children, for us to be peacemakers. Philippians 2, 3 through 8, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interest but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What a fitting and relevant challenge for our young church as we are experiencing growing joys and growing pains, are we not? We are, as we are transitioning to Rockville and through new county COVID-19 regulations to consider others more important than ourselves, as we experience discomforts and subpar but hopefully sound and faithful sermons week to week, through sometimes technical difficulties and bulletins that have error, as we'll be challenged out of our comfort zones as each and every member can no longer coast as they did at a bigger church, as everyone will be stretched in good ways to be more involved, as every member will be challenged to step up, to give more, to serve more, to pray more, and depend on God more, as it will require all hands on deck to participate in God's new work. Amen? This is what God is calling us towards, brothers and sisters, as you join New Covenant Baptist Church to be little Christs, to be peacemakers. Let me conclude. If you read about the documentary of Desmond Doss called The Conscientious Objector, which came out in 2004, which is what the movie Hacksaw Ridge is based off of, you get to read about a lot more details of how Desmond Doss's life was preserved through various battles without a gun. I mean, think about it. It's not a movie. It's a real story that happened. Japanese soldiers are reported uh, that every time, they, they report that every time they had the chance to shoot Doss in plain sight, their guns kept jamming and they couldn't shoot. Like literally this happened over and over again. It's reported in this documentary. Now, I have no idea if, if this is the truth or if it's Hollywood. And there's no guarantee for us in this life that trusting in God as Christians will prevent you from sufferings of this life or make you bulletproof. There's no guarantee of that. That's simply not promised in the Bible, so don't try. However, as I shared with you, your finish line and victory with Christ is certain. Whether you live or die on earth, the sons and daughters of Christ will be with him on that final day where pain and death are no more. What else is certain is that while you are alive on earth, you and I have a purpose. You and I have a reason why we are alive. And that purpose, again, is to bring peace to all who we meet. I pray for all of us, rather than being known by our earthly names, James Choi, Nick Kim, Emily, whoever, right? 
that each and every single one of us will be known first and foremost as little Christs. I pray NCBC will be known among Southern Montgomery County where a group of those Christians meet and are making peace and bringing shalom to all who we meet. I pray that as a local church body, we would exemplify what it means to be a diverse community who have been graciously and mercifully reconciled by our God to our God, displayed by our love and unity toward one another in our Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be a shining light amidst dark and deep divisions in our society. So brothers and sisters, let's commit today. As long as God calls us together, as we have covenanted together as a church, let's be faithful to proclaim Christ's promises to make disciples of all nations. Let's fight together to make peace and bring shalom to whoever the Lord would bring us to in southern Montgomery County. May our prayers be like Desmond Doss, never wane as he prayed through what could have been a dreary, tragic night, a tragic end. Help me, God, one more life, one more. But may our prayers be centered even more better on Christ than his prayer, in Christ alone. In Christ alone, help me, Lord, in whom we find our love joy, and peace. May we not stop making peace that the Prince of Peace may bring many sons to glory. Amen? Who can wage war without weapons? Who can fight battles without firearms? Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, fought to bring shalom by giving himself up for us. He made peace and brought us peace so that we can make peace so that more may know his peace. Let's pray.